0: When I want to talk about grace, I can only do so by storytelling. Even Jesus, who himself is the grace of God personified, talks about grace only through his parables. And at the same time, it's about an outrageous, almost irrational, impractical gift. It's about grace lavished on those who had in no way earned it, who even didn't know how valuable it was. Now, I will tell you my own story of grace. I told this story at our church more than 20 years ago at my mother's memorial service. It was early April of 1945. The Ogasawa family, all five of us, dad, Mum, that's Michi, you remember, James's daughter, Emmy, baby Hiroshi, and I were in the evacuation train escaping the daily escalating bombing in Tokyo. So Mario would have been just eight or nine. Now, here I think I need to tell you some of the some more about the air raids in Tokyo by the U.S. Air Force a few months before the end of the war. I add this because I believe it is an antithesis, an opposite of the story of grace. It is a story of disgrace. It shows you what happens when grace is completely absent or ignored. On March the 9th and 10th of that year, downtown Tokyo was utterly destroyed by the single most destructive fire-bombing raid in human history. To quote a historian, over 300 B-29 bomber aircrafts dropped 2,000 tons of bombs, which contained almost 500,000 incendiary cylinders. The raid wiped out 40 square kilometers of densely populated area, killing somewhere between 90,000 and 120,000 civilians, a vast majority of them women, children, elderlies. and since most of all the young men were drafted into the army and away, it injured over one million and displaced millions more. The fire was so vast and intense that the water of a big river boiled and the towering inferno consumed all the oxygen in the air, suffocating people to death, even if they were not burnt. What is so disturbing about all these bombings on cities was that they were primarily intended to cause maximum casualties to the civilians, not to military targets. As a matter of fact, the US US Air Force General, Curtis LeMay, who meticulously planned and executed the Tokyo raid, acknowledged later that if he had been on the losing side, he would certainly have been charged with war crimes. Anyway, our house was in the suburbs and was not bombed on that day. But I still remember vividly, too vividly in fact, the whole sky turning blood red from the burning downtown. I watched wave after wave of low-flying huge silver B-29 bombers streaking overhead, for yet more bombing sorties. Now, no one was injured or killed in our area, but I learnt later that a girl whose hand I held every day as we walked to kindergarten together, my first love, was killed along with her mother and sister while visiting their relatives downtown. The details of how she was killed, I won't tell you, because it haunted me with flashbacks and even fainting smells for most of my life until I was healed by the grace of God on Christmas Eve, 2001. But that is another story. Now, back to the train. The night train was packed. Standing room only is an understatement. There was no light most of the time for fear of being spotted by enemy planes and strafed or bombed. Many of the window panes were missing. And every time the train went through the numerous tunnels in the hilly countryside, black smoke and soot from the steam locomotive swirled in and choked us. It was a hellish place to be. It was a long time taking going from Tokyo to Ichin- Ichinoseki, our destination, a town in northeast Japan. It took thirteen hours to cover the distance, and the bullet train nowadays takes two hours. Amazingly, though, recalling now, there was no crying from many babies and children on the plane, on the train. Maybe some whimpering or weeping, surely, but I don't remember even that. I guess we were all too tired and hungry and despaired even to cry. At about midnight, by that time, <clears throat> the train was far enough from the danger zone for the airstrikes. And the lights were on, and our mom dug into her bag, and from it she pulled out our bento meal. So Mum unwrapped a small package and revealed something totally unexpected: a dozen or so fancy delicately baked cupcakes. She also produced a thermos filled with English breakfast tea, which spread a wonderful aroma around us. You must realize that the luxury, the delicacy, and the beauty of those cupcakes and tea were totally out of place. They were the most impractical things to satisfy our hunger, our physical hunger. And Mum must have made an extraordinary effort to prepare those cupcakes. Sugar, for example, was as scarce as diamonds. Wheat flour, non-existent. It was more likely that she traded one of her best kimonos for a cup of sugar and a kilo of white flour. And yet she prepared them specially for us to have on our nightmarish journey. She didn't. She did it even though she knew that, for instance, a packet of rice balls. Or dried fish would be far more practical and appropriate in the ordinary sense, the common sense. We shared those precious cakes and tea with some children near us. And do you know what happened? The horrible atmosphere of this evacuation train changed suddenly. It was as if the hell that was around us disappeared and a small heaven suddenly appeared. The kids smiled, the eyes of their parents somehow came alive. Of course, it did not last long. Just like a handheld sparkler, it was extinguished soon. But there was a sparkling joy there. It was a momentary for sure, but that spark of joy left an unforgettable impression. As I said, a crazy, ridiculous extravagance at that most particular time and place. And yet, they were what we needed most. They did not fill our stomachs, but they filled our hearts. That's exactly what we experienced on that night, thanks to mum's defiant spirit against the joyless, miserable darkness oppressing us from all sides. We defied our circumstances and found joy. And isn't that what John's Gospel is speaking about when he writes that the darkness cannot overcome the light? Now, as you know, what I said about grace can only be described by stories and not by theories or theologies. And I don't think I have to say this again, but let me say it anyway. Grace is given unconditionally, often unexpected, maybe unappreciated, and sometimes even unnoticed. It is given to those who are undeserved maybe ungrateful, and often unable to reciprocate. It cost everything to the givers. It cost nothing for the receivers, us children in the train, and all of us human beings. Grace is crazy and amazing. And I believe that Christmas is the craziest and most amazing example of God's grace given to us. God gave his one and only son for the sake of us who did not deserve or appreciate him. It's crazy because this gift did not come wrapped in royal purple robe of a king, but a baby bundled with a dirty piece of cloth laid in a manger in a smelly barn. It's amazing because this bundle of tiny life was expected and did in fact save the world. And God has infinite supplies of grace to give away. We don't need to do anything. In fact, We are better not to do anything to get it, because grace is by nature not a thing to get. It is only received. It is only given to us unconditionally. It is totally one way from God, from Mum, or from any giver of it. I do not know how you will relate to my story of grace to your own life, but I want you to become aware that the grace of God and His grace. Given through people, Jesus to begin with is always there to be received. It was there in a smelly stable in Bethlehem. It is there in, say, a cancer ward of a hospital. It was there in the midst of a terrible war, and it will be there in your house when you feel overwhelmed by circumstances. By the way, I think that the word grace is the most beautiful word in the English language. Just say it once, twice, three times, and you'll find it in the deepest part of your heart, what grace is, in the sound of the word itself. I know it's a funny thing to say, but try it anyway. With love, from Morio.